0: Thank you, Andrew. If you have access to a Bible this morning, I would like you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. We're going to continue in our sermon series on the Gospel of John. If you're here this morning in the auditorium and you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles under the chairs in front of you. Um, And if you're watching by live stream this morning um, and you don't have a Bible or don't even know how to use a Bible, that's okay. Um, You'll be able to follow along easily. Most of the verses that I share with you are going to be on the screen. Well, last week I said to you that today we are going to look at some of the most controversial and misunderstood words that Jesus ever spoke. And they are found in the passage we're looking at in John 6, verses 52 through 59. John 6, verses 52 through 59 is the passage that we are looking at. Last week, toward the end of the message, we looked at verse 51, where Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. then he said this, And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And that leads into our text for this morning. We read, The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Now I want to preview again for you. where we are headed this month. This month, today, obviously, we are in the Gospel of John. We're staying in the Gospel of John today, and I want to connect it to Christmas um, toward the end of the message. And then next Sunday morning on the 20th, we're going to take a break from the Gospel of John and... Um, I'm going to use a traditional Christmas passage from the Gospels. I will do the same on Christmas Eve. And then on the 27th, the last Sunday of the month, on the 27th, we will finish John chapter 6. And when we do that, I want to connect it to looking back at this year and looking ahead to the year to come. So that's where we are headed this month. But now back to this particular passage of Scripture. Our first point this morning is an historical controversy. The passage we are looking at this morning has been the source of ongoing controversy throughout the history of the church. And most specifically, that controversy has focused on verses 53 through 56, where Jesus said, If you've read these words before in the Gospel of John, or maybe you're hearing them for the first time this morning, you probably are thinking in your own mind, I can see why this passage is controversial. I mean, Jesus is asking them to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Throughout church history, some have accused Jesus of teaching a form of cannibalism. Now that is completely untrue, but that is one of the accusations that have been made about Jesus because of this passage. These words, most likely, to his audience that he is speaking to at Capernaum, they were most likely shocking and controversial to his Jewish audience. John MacArthur says, in speaking on this passage... He says that he's surprised that a riot didn't break out in the synagogue because of the controversial nature of these words. Because in the Old Testament, the Jews were taught that the life of the body is in the blood. And before you ever ate any kind of animal, you had to drain the blood from it because you would be unceremonially, or you would be unclean ceremonially if you ate any kind of animal with the blood still in it. But the primary controversy, the main controversy that is focused on this particular passage of Scripture is not those two things, but it is historically the Roman Catholic view of transubstantiation. Based primarily, not exclusively, but primarily on this passage of Scripture for over 1,800 years, the Roman Catholic Church has taught the doctrine of transubstantiation. When they take the Lord's Supper in the Holy Eucharist, in the Sacred Mass, they believe that the bread and the wine literally turn into the body and blood of Jesus. That when they take the Eucharist, they are literally eating the flesh and drinking the blood of Jesus. And they base it on this particular passage of Scripture. Now, for a couple of centuries, this has been a point of serious disagreement between biblical Protestantism and historic Roman Catholic teaching. My point this morning is not to criticize the Catholic Church, but to share with you how this passage can be misunderstood and why we disagree with their understanding of this. And I don't want you to just take my word for it. I don't want you to think, well, this is Pastor Tim's view on transubstantiation. I want to read something to you. And this comes from the CERC, which is the Catholic Education Resource Center. It's a place where, if you are Roman Catholic, you can go and you can find out information about what your church teaches and what you believe. In this, what I'm going to read for you is their direct comment on verses 53 through 56. This is what they say. Note that none of this language is symbolic. Jesus meant what he said. The whole mystery is preserved in the Most Holy Eucharist and the sacrifice of the Mass. We too take unleavened bread and wine, two sources of nourishment, by the will of the Father, the work of the Holy Spirit, and the priesthood of Jesus entrusted to his ordained priests, and through the words of consecration that bread and wine is transformed into the body and blood of Jesus. Yes. The bread and wine do not change in characteristics. They still look the same, taste and smell the same, and hold the same shape. However, the reality is that the substance does change. We do not receive bread and wine. We receive the body and blood of Christ. We call this change of substance transubstantiation a term used at the Fourth Lateran Council in 1215 and reasserted again by our Holy Father, Pope John Paul. Therefore, no faithful, knowledgeable Catholic would say that the Holy Eucharist is just bread and wine or even just symbolizes the body and blood of Christ. This article goes, then goes on to criticize... Ulrich Zwingli, John Calvin, and Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformers, because their understanding of John 6 is that these words were figurative and symbolic. And they say in this article that that teaching is heresy. Their word, not mine. They say that teaching is heresy. It is false teaching. And I want you to know this morning that the view of our church is that these words in John chapter 6 are figurative and they are symbolic. Jesus is not saying that you eat his actual flesh and drink his actual blood. And I want to, in this message, help you to understand why we take that particular point of view. Now, I also want to say that some Protestants, historically, not a lot of them, but some Protestants have also taken the view that you are actually eating and drinking the body and blood of Christ, that he is actually, or those elements are transformed, and they have taught that this completes your salvation. So you trust in Christ for salvation, but you also must take the Lord's Supper in order to add to and complete your salvation. I want you to notice carefully that John chapter 6 has nothing to do with the Lord's Supper, but rather is an important sermon on believing in Jesus, the bread of life, who has come down from heaven. Even though this particular passage of Scripture has been the point of great debate and controversy throughout church history, the historical grammatical context of this passage, which is the interpretive method that we use, the context of this passage has nothing to do with the Lord's Supper. This is a great sermon. It is a sermon on believing in Jesus, the bread of life who came down from heaven. At the end of verse 51, where we ended last week, Jesus said, And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now notice the immediate reaction. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus says, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus is going to give his flesh for the life of the world. What does he mean by that? And this is important. The flesh that he refers to represents the entirety of who Jesus is that will be given as a sacrifice for our sins. Okay? His flesh represents the entirety of who He is that will be given as a sacrifice for our sins. He is the Son of God. He is the lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. He is the spotless lamb. All of those teachings about Jesus are encompassed in what He says is His flesh that will give life. To the world. His flesh, his life will die in our place for our sins upon the cross. So the bread of life came into our world to die on a cross so that those who believe in him will have life, his life. And I just want you to think about that very carefully. The bread of life came into our world to die on a cross so that those who believe in him will have life. His life. His life. And that brings us back to these controversial verses. Our second point this morning is eating his flesh and drinking his blood. So, what does it mean? What does it mean to eat the flesh and drink the blood of Jesus. What is he saying here? Well, I believe that the key verse in all of chapter 6 is verse 35, where Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is not saying, that he is an actual loaf of bread. Jesus is saying that he is spiritual nourishment. He has come to nourish your souls. He has come to forgive your sins. He has come to bring you into union with God the Father. He has come to bring you salvation. He is, in that sense, the bread of life. And if you come to him, you will no longer hunger, and if you believe in him, you will no longer thirst. He isn't saying that physically you will never get hungry again, and physically you will never get thirsty again. He is not saying that. He is saying, I will totally quench your spiritual hunger and totally quench your spiritual thirst. He is not intending that these words be taken literally, but figuratively and spiritually because he's talking about salvation. He's talking about eternal, everlasting life. Blood is a metonym for salvation throughout. That's how it's used throughout the New Testament. If you remember, a metonym is simply a word or a phrase that is used to describe a much larger concept. So he is talking about that he is the bread that gives eternal resurrection life. His blood will be that which cleanses our sins and makes us clean in the sight of the Father. Let's look at these words again, verses 53 through 56. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As difficult as those words may appear to be, what Jesus is saying is not new at all. Every one of you actually whether you realize it or not, understand very well what he is saying. He is simply powerfully clarifying one of the most important truths of the Christian faith. And that truth is believing and receiving Jesus as Savior and Lord. Jesus is simply clarifying in a very powerful, graphic, vivid way what it means to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord. I want to share four things with you, four separate statements. First, and I hope these four statements will help you to understand what Jesus is saying here. First, you have no spiritual eternal life in yourself, none whatsoever. In your fallen state, apart from Christ, you have no spiritual eternal life in yourself. According to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. That means that you have no ability whatsoever to save yourself. You have no ability whatsoever to even contribute to your salvation. Second, Jesus is the only source in the universe of spiritual eternal life. It can come from no place else. He completely accomplished a full and free salvation in his death and resurrection. He died in our place for our sins and paid the full penalty for our sins and then was raised gloriously and victoriously from the grave, overcoming sin and death. Third, his free gift of salvation only applies to those who repent of their sin and believe and receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. His free gift of salvation, which he accomplished in his death and resurrection, does not apply to everybody. It only applies to to those who repent of their sin and believe and receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. Now, many of you may be thinking this morning, Pastor Tim, we know all three of those things. We've known all three of those things for years. And that's good. If you know those three things well, then very good for you. It's the fourth thing. The fourth thing. That is the most important. This may be the most important thing that I say to you this morning and the one thing that I want you to remember as you leave this morning. To believe and receive Jesus into your life is the same as eating his flesh and drinking his blood. To believe and receive Jesus into your life is the same as eating his flesh and and drinking his blood. When you come to a point in your life where you realize that you are sinful and in need of a Savior, and you genuinely, sincerely understand, I need to invite Christ to come into my life. I need to receive Jesus as my Savior. That decision is so critical and so important that Jesus said it's like eating his flesh and drinking his blood. When you receive Jesus as your Savior, if you've genuinely done that, when you receive Jesus as your Savior, his life becomes your life. His life comes in you. It enters into you. We don't visibly see that. We may not be totally conscious of how it happens, but that's what happens at salvation. When you ask Christ to come into your life, his resurrection, eternal everlasting life, comes to live in your life. His life actually enters into you. It comes into you. When you receive Christ as Savior and Lord, you go from spiritual death to spiritual life. From an eternal perspective, that happens instantaneously at the moment you trust him as Savior. Because his life becomes your life. And his life actually enters into you. It actually enters into your life and soul. Two verses that may help us understand this. Both of them very familiar. Galatians 2.20. The Apostle Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said, I am. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He lives inside of me. Colossians 1.27. Some of you may remember that I did a whole series of sermons back in 2017 on what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And one of the main verses I used in that series was Colossians 1.27. In Colossians 1, Paul is speaking to the believers there, and he is, he is telling them that the fullness of the great mystery of salvation was hidden in generations past, but now has been revealed to the saints. And so he says in verse 27. To them, to the saints, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What are the glorious riches of this great mystery of salvation? What are the riches of salvation? Here it is. It is Jesus Christ in you. That's how you hope for heaven. That's how you hope for glory. It is Jesus Christ coming to live inside of you. So when Paul says in Galatians 2.20, but Christ lives in me, when he says in Colossians 1.27, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, that's exactly what he is saying in John chapter 6, When he says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. He takes over. He comes to live in you. We've already seen this kind of language, this kind of concept in the Gospel of John. We saw it in John chapter 4 the very same type of thought. This is not going to be on the screen, but in John chapter 4, Jesus is speaking with a woman at the well. She's drawing water from the well. And Jesus says to everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is not saying, I become actual water. Jesus is not saying, you will physically never be thirsty again in your life. That's not what he's saying. He is saying that the water I give him, the resurrection life that I give him, the new life that I give him, will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That spiritual resurrection life that I give will well up into a person. Same kind of language, same kind of thought. Actually, a very key verse for interpreting this passage is found in a verse we'll look at more closely in two weeks. Drop down in your Bibles to verse 63. John six sixty-three. Jesus says, It is the Spirit, capital S, which means Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Now watch this last sentence. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The words that I have spoken to you are spiritual and they have to do with eternal, everlasting life. I am not saying you literally eat my flesh and you literally drink my blood. I am talking about spiritual life. I am talking about eternal, everlasting life. In verse 57, Jesus says, As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father... So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Jesus spent all of John chapter 5 and part of John chapter 6 teaching that he is one with the Father. He has come to do the Father's will. He is in perfect union and perfect harmony with the Father. And so he says, as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father... So whoever feeds on me, whoever believes in me, he also will live because of me." And then he says, in verse 58, "This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the father, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever." That's exactly what he said in verses 49. And 50, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Your forefathers ate the manna from heaven, but it was just bread. It was just physical bread, and when they ate it, it did nothing for them. This is different, completely different. I'm talking about eternal bread, life-giving bread. Whoever feeds on this bread, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Then in verse 59, it says that Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. That gives us the historical setting for which all of this takes place. He is in the synagogue at Capernaum, speaking primarily to a Jewish audience. Many of them were part of the crowd that was in the feeding of the 5,000. But I want to try to bring this all together this morning. We must be very careful, especially at a time like Christmas, that we don't simply admire Jesus as a great teacher and good moral example. A lot of people admire Jesus. Oh, he's probably one of the best teachers the world's ever seen. And he lived a really good life. I, I want to try to live like Jesus lived. Some people even say, well, I, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for sins. But they've never done anything with it. They've never made it personal in their own life. And at a time like Christmas, and don't misunderstand what I'm about to say because I love Christmas. But we have the manger scenes, we sing the Christmas carols, we see all the beauty and the pageantry associated with Christmas, and it's wonderful. It's beautiful. But sometimes at Christmas, we have kind of this sentimental view of Jesus. Oh, baby Jesus. Away in a manger, silent night, holy night. Wonderful songs. And we just admire him. You admire who he is, but all of us need to understand that admiring Jesus does nothing for you. It does nothing for you. The most important decision that a human being can ever make is to receive Jesus' life as your life. The most important decision that any human being can ever make is to receive Jesus' life as your life. Let me say to you again, the decision to receive Christ as Savior is so critical, so important, that Jesus says, it's like eating his flesh and drinking his blood. If I could say it this way, if you'd allow me to say it, it's as if he is saying, you must ingest me into your life just as physical drink and physical food do nothing for you unless you drink them and eat them. They do nothing for you until they come inside of you. He is saying, so it is with my life. It must come into you. You must personally, individually receive me as your Savior and Lord. So I ask all of us this morning, all of us, Have you eaten of the flesh and drank of the blood of Jesus? Has there been a time in your life where you sincerely, genuinely understood your grave need for a Savior and you received Him, you believed in Him with all of your heart and said, Jesus, come into my life, save me and be my Savior. Has there ever been a time like that? And I... I share this especially with those of you who are here this morning or watching on live stream and you grew up in a strong Christian home. Praise God for strong Christian homes. But whether you're an adult, a teenager, or a child this morning, if you've grown up in a strong Christian home, be careful. Sometimes you hear these things so much that you take them for granted. And you simply say, well, I prayed the prayer when I was 12 years old or 13 years old. And maybe you prayed the prayer because you wanted to please mom and dad. Or maybe you prayed the prayer because you wanted to please your Sunday school teacher. Or you wanted to please grandma and grandpa. I'm just saying, please make sure. Please make sure that there has been a time in your life but with all of your heart, you know for sure that you invited Jesus to live in you. To come into you. That his life came into your life. Let me say to all of us, Jesus didn't come just to be admired. He came to save you. Let's pray together. Father, help each and every one of us here this morning to know in the depths of our hearts, in the most intimate places of our souls, that there has been a time, a time, where we have invited Christ to come into our lives and to be Savior and Lord, to live inside of us. Lord, if there are any here that aren't sure, help them to make sure. Oh, Lord, I pray that any of us that aren't sure would make sure. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.